Good morning again. I thought about, some, for some of you coming to the 8 a.m. service on Easter, that would be like rising from the dead. Is that right? <laughs> Perfect reason to come. There you go. Um, I wanted to emphasize something again, and that is baptism. Because baptism is really, a, not, it's a command of the Lord. We are to be baptized in water. And it doesn't save you. It doesn't clean you. Well, it might a little bit because there's going to be... Um, you know, Clorox in the water. But uh, anyway, it's just a commandment because it symbolizes publicly your confession in Christ and your old life, when you go under the water, your old life is being buried. That's the picture. And then you come up and as the new life. So it's a commandment. It's not an option in that sense. So if you've never been baptized, I want to exhort you, encourage you, whatever's needed, Take the step and do it. I know sometimes it's a little bit like, well, you will, but the Lord will bless you through that. God's not commanding us to do things to sort of take away. He wants to bless us with these things, so he said to do that. So some of you may have to be held under longer <laughs> just to make sure it really, you know. All right, so please, if you haven't been baptized and you're, you're a believer and you really need to be, it's very important, but it's also a huge blessing. So there you have it. 1 Peter chapter 1, I'm going to be reading beginning in verse 3, so would you stand with your Bibles open or your, your devices? I believe, as you know, I believe that the more of the word we can take in, the better it is for us. So whether that's visually, reading it, memorizing it, so the word, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the more word we take in, the better it is. That's why if you've been here at any time, I, load, I love just to have the word. We're taking it in. We're taking it in. We want to make sure that we continue to do that. Amen? So the word of God is sufficient. It, it equips us, thoroughly equips us for good works. So 1 Peter chapter 3, we're going through this series, uh, Living Hope, in the book of 1 Peter. A lot of it, a main theme is suffering. And so that's one of the reasons that we, we believe we should go through this because of what we're facing and have been. So here we go. This morning I want to talk on living a holy life. So in verse 3 of chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom... Having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Verse 13. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children. Not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, be holy, 
for I am holy. So, Lord, again, here's your word before us. We've just read some of it, and I pray in Jesus' name, the things I prepared, you break them fresh and feed us, Lord, we're hungry. We know that this is our spiritual food. It needs to be our spiritual diet. And I ask this morning, as the things I prepared, you break them fresh, feed us, we're hungry. We do know, Lord, that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Give us ears to hear, I pray. Your word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. You show us where we are. You show us where you want to be directing us. Speak to us, I pray. Give us ears to hear by your spirit. Minister truth into our hearts as as Elliot prayed. Minister it into our hearts, Lord, that we might grow and mature and continue on in our most holy faith. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So he begins in verse 13, therefore, so he's continuing, and he's speaking to us who are kept for salvation, ready to be revealed. We who are receiving the salvation of our souls, because this salvation has come to us, we now live differently. We live differently than we used to live, and we live differently than the world. In fact, our lives, Peter tells us, are now a mystery to the world. And so we read in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. Would you say that? Yeah, uh, okay, enough of that. <laughs> Who, when we walk, notice, in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these... They think, the world thinks it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. Now, I can remember this, this whole t- thing that happened to me when I was saved. Now, the, the root meaning of the word translated holy is different. The root word. A holy person is not an odd person, but a different person. His life has a quality about it that is different. His present lifestyle is not only different from his past way of life, but it is different from the lifestyles of the unbelievers all around him, unquote, Warren Wearsby. So holiness means it's, there's something different. Now, I, I'll never forget getting together with my friends after I committed my life to Christ. They thought it strange that I no longer wanted to party with them. They could not understand why I would not want to continue to party. I had no desire to do that any longer. I just wanted to please God. I wanted to be right with God. I wanted to serve God. Now, I'm happy to report that 45 plus years later, by the grace of God, I'm still a little strange. (laughs) Yeah, some of you are laughing. (laughs) Look, I know this is true for you as a believer. I want to live a holy life. Whatever that means, I want to live a holy life. I want all my conduct to be holy. I want it to be pleasing to the Lord. The word holiness includes various meanings like purify, sanctify. It means to be consecrated for something or dedicated to something. It has the idea, in fact, this word, awesome. How many times do you hear that word? Sometimes I'm saying, we just stop saying awesome. It's lost it. Hey, holiness is awesome. 
It means to be singled out. It means to command respect. So the Expositor's Bible Commentary says this, quote, The basic idea of holiness in the Bible is that, a, that of separation from all that is profane. The simplest understanding of holiness is that of loving conformity to God's commands and to his Son, unquote. So Paul wrote to the Romans. He said, therefore, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, just, and good. God's word, God's commands, what he tells us. J. Vernon McGee said it this way, quote, holiness is to the spiritual life what health is to the physical life. We like to see a person who is physically fine, robust, and healthy. Well, well, holiness is to be healthy and robust spiritually, unquote. How are you health-wise spiritually? Living a holy life is very healthy. It's very good. So he says, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Now, Peter's taking us back to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the word holy or holiness is found almost 500 times. Major word. The first, it's not even mentioned, not used in the book of Genesis, but you get to Exodus, and the first mention is when Moses, who had been on the sidelines for 40 years, is walking there in that place, and he sees this burning bush. He said, I'm going to go find out what that burning bush, because it's burning, but it's not being consumed. And so as he draws near to the bush, this voice says, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand, Moses, is holy ground. In other words, wherever it is that God chooses to meet man is holy ground, because God is holy. Were God not the initiator, as he is throughout the story, were God not the initiator, there would be no meeting him. We would be consumed. Habakkuk says, you are of purer eyes than to behold iniquity, and you cannot look on wickedness. So holiness speaks of God's otherness. It speaks of his uncreated transcendence and majesty. God is holy, set apart, awesome. So two places in the Bible where you see this holy, holy, holy. One is in the Old Testament and one is in the New Testament. The Old Testament is in Isaiah chapter 6. Some of you know it. In Isaiah chapter 6, it says, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne High and lifted up, above it stood the seraphim. Each one had six wings. Now keep note of that just as we look at the one in the New Testament. But let's continue in Isaiah chapter 6. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke. God is transcendent. He is majestic. He is awesome. And whenever you find someone meeting God, they're on their faces usually. 
He is holy. Holy, holy, holy. And so what happened with Isaiah? I said, woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips and dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. God is holy, majestic and transcendent, the uncreated one. Revelation chapter 4, the four living creatures. Remember in Isaiah, you'll see this in Ezekiel also. These creatures, this majesty of heaven. Each having six wings were full of eyes in front and in back, around and within. And they do not rest day or night saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. God is holy, holy, holy. Now, we're doing the book of Daniel right now, but in April, we're going to begin going through the book of Revelation to continue our studies and what's happening and how does God see these things, the prophetic word, which we do well to give as a, as a, as a light that shines in a dark place. But let me say to you, prophecy is awesome, but God is more awesome. God is holy, holy, holy. Now, here's the thing. This holy, holy God always made a way whereby he, he in his holiness could meet man in his sinfulness. That's holiness. How? By blood sacrifice. From the beginning of man's sin, God provided the sacrifice. And all through the Old Testament, all through the nation Israel, God continued to emphasize sacrifices necessary for sin. Your sin has separated you from God. God made it very clear in his revelation, the consistent revelation, a sacrifice is needed. Your sin has separated you from God. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission because God is holy, holy, holy. And so in the fullness of time, God sent us a Savior. And he is the way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. In other words, we must come to God on his terms because he is holy, holy, holy. We must come through his provision or we cannot come at all. But having come, we know the only true God. We know Jesus Christ, whom he sent, and why he sent him. We have eternal life. Wow. It's incredibly true. And thus, we will never be the same. We are different. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Vast, unmeasured, boundless, free. Rolling as a mighty ocean in its fullness over me. <laughs> Underneath me, 
All around me is the current of thy love. Leading onward, leading homeward to thy glorious rest above. Oh, the love of God in his holiness. To bring us into relationship that we might be holy. I'm called by God to be the holy because he is holy. I've been called by God to be holy in all my conduct. I'm called to holy living. You are called as a believer to live a holy life. Now in the New Testament, the word holy and holiness is used almost 200 times. I want to give you just eight to identify for you as for me. I, you as a believer, are new creations in Christ, created by God. These are all verses. Created by God in righteousness and true holiness. I, you, am not called to uncleanness, but in holiness. In holiness. Not to it. In holiness. I am called to pursue holiness without which no one will see the Lord. I am called by God as a slave of righteousness for holiness. I am called as a slave of God to bear fruit to holiness. I am called to cleanse myself from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Perfect holiness in the fear of God. I am, now I don't like this one, but I like holiness. I am chastened by God that I might be a partaker of his holiness. So in other words, when God's working on his life, it's not because he doesn't love us, but because he does love us. He wants to partake of the freedom and glory of living a holy life. And finally, I'm called to love that my heart may be established in holiness. I want to talk about love a few bit at the end also. I didn't really understand this as I do now a little more. How love is the, the purest expression of holiness. To love. So let's talk about living a holy life. There are four things that came to mind for me through this passage. Number one, holy life prepares for action. Holy life is ready and waiting. Holy life makes sound judgments. Holy life rests in hope. And holy life loves sincerely and fervently. So therefore, he says, verse 13, holy life prepares for action. He says there, gird up the loins of your mind. In other words, the picture is of a man gathering up his, his loose garments and tucking them into his sash or his belt so that he can move freely, but not only freely, quickly. He can respond. Jesus used this terminology when talking about the, the good faithful servant and the evil servant in Luke chapter 12. He said, let your waist be girded. That's what he's talking about. Just get everything gathered up so nothing's going to hinder. Let your lamp be burning. 
ready to move with the light. And you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may, be, they may open to him. How? Immediately. They're ready for action, ready, prepared. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Therefore, you be ready. For the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. We might say, you know, get it together. <laughs> Pull it together. Get your mind right, if you will. Prepare for action. Are you prepared? See, that's holiness. That's living a holy life. So here's the thing. Holiness, listen, is tough-minded. Holiness is not weak, wimpy, or just for show. Holiness disciplines our minds. Holiness pulls together our thoughts. Holiness has no loose ends in how we think. Holiness gathers up our thoughts, how? In obedience to God. So we read in 2 Corinthians, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare, and by the way, as we're reading some of these scriptures, you're going to note there's a lot of battles going on. That's what holiness does. Holiness enters the battle. And we're battling against unholiness and unrighteousness and all these things. And so he's, here he's saying that the weapons of warfare are not of the flesh, but mighty in God through pulling down strongholds. That's the thoughts in our mind. Girding up our minds. Casting down arguments. Again, the mind. Girding the mind. Casting down arguments. Everything that exalts itself against the what? Knowledge of God. The mind. And bringing every thought, the mind, into captivity. How? To the obedience of Christ. And being ready to punish all disobedience once your obedience is fulfilled. Let me say the only antidote to disobedience is one thing. Obedience. That's the antidote. Repentance and obedience. So being ready to take care of that, put it, lay it aside, punish it, do whatever. Once your obedience is fulfilled. That's holiness. A holy life prepares for action. A holy life makes sound judgment. He says, be sober. Be sober. Verse 13. In other words, a holy life exercises self-control. The fruit of the Spirit is love. I believe that's the fruit. Then defined. How? Love is defined by self-control. Be sober. It speaks of those who abstain from excesses. They're free from every form of physical, mental, or spiritual drunkenness. Ephesians says, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time. Why? Because the days are evil. They are evil. So get a big picture here. Look in the rearview mirror, the back mirror. Get what's going on. Be circumspect because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be what? Drunk with wine in which is, there's that word, dissipation or excess. But what? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's wonderful. A holy life is not controlled by outward circumstances or stimulants or substances, but by the person of the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit empowers the believer to be holy in all of my conduct, in all of your conduct. That's why I said, be ye being filled. Continuous present tense. Be ye being filled with the Holy Spirit. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to lead a holy life. A holy life understands the will of the Lord and seeks to decide and make choices according to the will of the Lord. A holy life diligently keeps the heart calm and steady so it will be able to weigh the issues of life with clarity, with accuracy, and with balance. The Holy Spirit. A holy life is serious and watchful in prayer. Peter talks about that. A holy life is sober and vigilant against the enemy, the devil. We have an adversary. We'll get these later on in Egypt. Egypt. <laughs> Why did I say Egypt? Somewhere, here. <laughs> Listen, a holy life also is watchful and sober, knowing the seasons and the times. Now, have we not been woke up a lot? I should say waking up because I don't know about the woke thing. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. But concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Verse 6. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch. And there it is. Be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. In other words, they, they sleep undercover. Not to be seen. They're in the, they walk in darkness. But let, and those who are, there it is again, drunk, are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day, there it is again, be sober. Putting on the breastplate of faith and love. It's a helmet of hope of salvation. It's wartime. So let's not fall asleep on the battlefield. Let's not fall asleep on the job. Let's be sober. Let's be alert. See, that's a holy life. And so when I determine in my mind and pray for the Holy Spirit, and I say, I'm not, I'm, I'm, that's holiness in a world that needs a holy influence from God's people. Not to be in a stupor. And so we read in Ephesians also, Arise, you who sleep, awake from the dead, for Christ has given you light. A holy life rests in hope. Therefore, rest your hope fully, verse 13, which means completely, thoroughly, unchangeable. In other words, we have one hope that we must rest in. That includes some other facets, but it's one hope. It is the, upon the grace of God. God's riches at Christ's expense. Giving to us what we do not deserve. Our hope, a holy life, rests in hope of the grace of God. By grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that's holiness, that we should walk in them. God took care of the salvation through Christ. And so, living a holy life does not, did not, and cannot save you from sin. That comes once being saved, the holy life. 
Only the grace of God through the cross preached and the gospel believed can do that and continues to do that. The grace of God. We rest in the hope that Jesus is coming again. It's sort of like that final victory lap is going to happen. He says, be brought to you the revelation of Jesus Christ. The writers in the New Testament, from Matthew to Revelation, longed for the revelation. They longed for the unveiling. They longed for the second coming of Christ. In all our holy conduct, we rest fully that Jesus is coming again. We're not living purposelessly. We're living for a purpose, the kingdom. Paul wrote to Timothy, I urge you in the sight of God that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless holiness until our Lord Jesus Christ appear, in which he will manifest his own time. He is the only blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, to whom be honor and everlasting power. And everyone said, amen. He is coming. Paul tells Timothy, he tells Titus the same thing. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us, what? That denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for <laughs> the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from what? Every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. That's holiness. That's a holy life. We rest our hope also. Here's one that blessed me. We rest in hope as a child of God. So he says there, verse 14, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance. Listen, before our spiritual birth, we were blind, deaf, and ignorant children of wrath. Paul in Ephesians says, he made you, he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, and when you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit now works in the sons of what? Disobedience. This is what we were. And we're by nature children of wrath just as others, but God who is rich in mercy. In other words, we were void of any spiritual intelligence. We were mastered by fleshly indulgences. Didn't even know it. We were sinners by nature. Now, you can take a pig and wash it off. And you can dress it up. But the minute it has the opportunity, it's back to the pigsty, back to the mud. See, a pig is still a pig. And a rat is still a rat. And I don't want to break your heart here, but a dog is still a dog, and a cat is still a cat. But listen, we are no longer ignorant. Our former ignorant, we're no longer ignorant. We now are in the family of God. We're children of God. And so we see things completely different 
And we are now in a family of God that's completely redeemed, saved, righteous, and holy. So it's different now. We're born again. We're in God's family, and we're growing up as a family. We're growing up in this thing called holiness. And so Paul, as he's thinking of his, his, the church in Ephesus, he says, therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, look at the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of who? Him, our Father. That the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling. He called us. And what is the exceeding greatness of His riches toward us who believe? Paul saying, I'm praying for you that you'll get to know your Father. I'm praying for you as part of, as his child. This is what he wants. He wants to open your eyes to see these things. He prayed in another way, that you may know the width and length and depth and height and know the love of Christ that passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul prayed these things because he knew they were in the family of God and God had this for them as his children and he has it for us as his children to see how different things are. And he's given us his power the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power we have at our disposal, if you will, the person of the Holy Spirit. You see, a life, a holy life rests in hope, not only the grace of God, not only as being children of God, but in the mercy of God. God is merciful. He says, not conforming, not being shaped by the, by the former lusts, and so as Paul's writing to the Romans, he gets to chapter 12. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the what? Mercies of God, that you present your bodies as living sacrifice. How? Holy. Holy. Acceptable God, which is your reasonable service of worship. And don't be conformed. Don't be shaped with. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I like to think of that as gap. Good, acceptable, perfect. And many times there's a gap that takes place because we're not living as surrendered to God through his mercy. He wants to show us the good and acceptable, that we might know the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Titus, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, deceived. Serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Now, this is an ugly, one of the ugly verses. This is what we were. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his what? Mercy, he saved us. Now, as we hope in the mercy of God. And so we're called to be holy. Verse 17, and if you call on, there it is, the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, children of God, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear or in reverence, understanding these lives we've been given count. It matters how we live. 
And so God's going to judge my life exactly as he judges your life. How? Without partiality. In other words, there'll be no question as to how I live my life in response to what God did for me. There'll be no cheating the truth. (laughs) There'll be no bribes to blind God from seeing the truth. That's why Paul said, we're going to appeal for the judgment. Therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Our lives matter. And holiness and the Holy Spirit reminds us of that, that we may be living holy lives, what we're talking about today. So what happens at the judgment seat of Christ will be according to what God knows you did. To according to what God knows I did. There'll be no getting it over on God. All things, Hebrews, all things are open and naked before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. We're all given account of ourselves to God. But listen, we are his children. And so these things that we're being measured for have nothing to do with either we're in the family. Not, no, no, no. It's being in his family. This judgment is going to come. The judgment seat of Christ will be according to what God knows you did, what God knows I did. But it will also be according to, will be, you, let me get this just figured out here, okay. Got what God knows you did, but also, you will know how God saw what you did. He sees it all. There's nothing hidden from his sight. But here's the kicker for me. And I hope for you too, because it's true. At the judgment seat of Christ, I will know, and so will you, like never before, what God did for you. I think it's going to become so incredibly unveiling of what it cost God to save us from sin. So he says, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your former manner of life, your aimless conduct, received by tradition from your fathers, gold and silver and traditions, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. His mercy paid a great price for you and for me. So he redeemed us. He paid the price to buy us out of slavery, pay the ransom. So it's different now. It's different. We know that all the gold in Fort Knox, I don't even know if Fort Knox still exists or if there's any gold there to talk about, but all the tea in China, all the king's horse and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. No, we couldn't pay. It's, it's priceless. And we were powerless. And so Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. 
Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. And I don't know how it's going to work at the judgment seat of Christ. I don't know if there's going to be videos. Maybe there'll be greater technology up there. But somehow, some way, you know, people say, well, I'm just going to ask God this, that, and that. No, you're not. You're going to be thankful that it's over. It's done. All the questions we have, all the things, God, why this, why that? No, no, I'm going to be happy to say, done. Done. Even my bads, done. Done. And we enter into the kingdom of God through the blood of Jesus Christ and what he accomplished for us. And we stand before him, not where we say, no, we're a part of his family, we're his children. And you know with your children, and especially with your grandchildren, all you want to do is get past some of these things and let's move forward in our relationship with God. That's what's going to happen. We're not going to be, oh God, how come this, how come that? Those. God did this for you. He indeed, verse 20, was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifested in these last times for you. For you, sinner. For you, the lost. For you, the downtrodden. For you, the weary. For you, the weeping. He did it for you. And for me. And as I understand that in a deeper way, I understand that his love for me is what leads me into a holy life. What Jesus did was intentional for you. It was not an accident. It was, no, it was an appointment for you. That's his mercy. So I want to let you just let that sink in a little bit this morning as I close this study. The love of God for you is because he is holy, holy, holy. And as a holy, holy, holy God, knowing our problem, he sent his son to solve the problem so that in his holiness, we become holy. In his holiness, in his provision, we can have a relationship with him. And we're happy to be different. We're happy to see things put beside us. We're happy to be separated from the profane things that destroy the holiness of God in our hearts and minds and in our own lives. So this love, he says, love sincere... It, through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brother. Every chapter, Peter talks about love. Chapter 2, love the brotherhood. Chapter 3, have compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tenderhearted. That's love. That's holiness. Chapter 4, and above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Chapter 5, ends, ends this whole letter. With this verse, if I can find it, greet one another with a holy kiss, with a, excuse me, with a kiss of love. Now, I don't know if we're going to do that, but we'll talk about it to close. <laughs> Here's what I wrote that came to mind as I was just thinking through this, for, and I want to end with a, with a story. A holy life lives to love others 
to bring them to healing and wholeness from God. Have you had people in your life that have brought you to that place where you get to see the love of God for you? It's transforming. It changes everything. And so I want to close with this thing that's happened to me over this last year. And I've talked about it a little bit from here, and that's the area of suffering. Peter's letter, that's why I chose it, is all about suffering. Theme throughout it. Interesting, suffering and love go together. But as I've been wrestling through it, I've shared with you, you know, this suffering thing is really, it kind of, it was difficult to think about it. I'm not suffering personally. I mean, there's some suffering going on, but nothing like. So I, I'm, I'm the last person. That's why I told the Lord when I was getting the first Peter. I'm the last guy in the world I feel like can talk about suffering. But I've been battling. Lord, why? And how does that work? And there are a lot of books written on that. A lot of people that go wrestling through a Job. Taught Job just recently. So in going through that, I said, you know, Lord, what it came to, at least part of it, was, I said, I don't want to suffer. And I asked you that. How many want to suffer? Nobody wants to suffer. But what I came to, at least this is helping me. First of all, I think we need to think about it. We need to give a lot of thought to it. Just think. Let the Holy Spirit sort of take us along in this thinking process. But then I just said, Lord, I'm willing to suffer. I'm willing. That's what's coming up. I'm willing to do that. And it may be coming. It may be coming, brothers and sisters in the Lord. But then I watched this three-hour um, live stream virtual event from the Voice of the Martyrs. I think it was three Fridays ago. And as I'm watching it, this is what's on the website about it. He says, while sharing God's love in three different restricted nations dominated by Islam, each was arrested, interrogated, and imprisoned. While all three struggled to find God's purpose in their suffering, they ultimately recognized his faithfulness and love and amid desperate circumstances, unquote. So I'm watching this thing. And these three men who were falsely accused, all of them, falsely accused, imprisoned, tortured, and given a death sentence. Now, how would you respond to that? I mean, the reason that I wrestle with it, I've been wrestling with this is, you know, I don't think I do very good. <laughs> I mean, I can't, like, you know, but I'm trying to just, okay, how does that work? And I believe, I do believe that if God does call that, me to that, that he will give me the grace to work through it. But understanding the love of God took on a whole different dimension as I'm watching this thing. And understanding how God works and how God does this thing. So these three men, one was imprisoned in Sudan, one was imprisoned in Turkey, and one in Iran. They all have the same testimony. And I hope this, this will somehow minister to you as it has deeply ministered to my heart, maybe just where I'm at. I hope it can minister a little bit. But as they're talking about this, every one of them, if you would have known them before they went in, you'd say, these are believers, strong believers. They'll never be shaken in their faith. Let me tell you something. Each one of them was deeply shaken in their faith. To the point of hopelessness and despair. One of the guys there, all of them thought about it. One of them tried it three times to kill himself. Suicide. And they were in dark places. We're talking dark. Now listen to their testimonies. And they, they're thinking, has God abandoned me? In fact, they all wrestle with going insane. 
I mean, it was so intense, and, and you can, we can only imagine at this point. I hope it never comes to that. In fact, after the thing, they say, so you've learned so much through this. You know, I, I'm happy not to go through that again. <laughs> That's just normal, okay? But then the one guy shared something that just really, it really, really sort of moved along this, my thinking through suffering. He said this, my words. When he was in the darkest place, despairing, wanting to take his life, wondering if God was even there or cared. Jesus came to him. And all he said was, I love you. I love you. So when we talk about holiness, and we talk about all these things, let me say, like Paul said, When God takes us to the depths, it changes nothing in his love for you or for me. And in those times of deep darkness, I think we need to keep our minds and understanding holy, holy, holy loves us holy. And no matter how bad it gets, Paul said, oh, wretched man that I am. And I'm, I'm talking to the Lord about these things and going, man, if anyone knew the thoughts I've had through these, some of these things that are going on over the last year, God knows them. He sees them. He knows all of them. He just comes and says, I love you. That's not simplistic. It's so incredibly powerful. It's life-changing, as it was in first salvation. It's all long enough. And Paul himself, he's on the ship there, totally despairing. What happened? Jesus came to him. So I hope the Lord will minister to your heart. If we talk about living a holy life, we're aimed, but we aren't there yet. We're heading, we're going. God's going to make sure, but he loves us. He died for us. He understands all the things that we go through. And as we try and live our, out our faith in him, suffering many times comes along as one of the most difficult things in all the things of holiness and leading a holy life and thinking holy thoughts. But it doesn't change God. He's the same. We bow our heads, pray a minute. Lord, I love you. We love you, Lord. And Lord, I've done my best to bring this word out today, but I ask, Lord, unless you take it, minister to us through your truth and sink some things down a little deeper. We're going to walk out of here and forget what we just heard. Lord, I ask in Jesus' name as we take these last few minutes here just to worship and wait on you. And we want to live a holy life. That's not even a question. We want to be pleasing to you. We want to be leaving, be holy in all of our conduct. Please, Lord. We want to be ready for action. We want to be sober. We want to be led by your Holy Spirit. Lord, we want to be loving people. So we come to you, Lord. I'm just going to lead this. If it applies to you, then please enter in. But Lord, just to confess to you our sin. Come to the cross right here in this room as we have heard the word. 
think of the excesses in our lives. Maybe some of you are battling drug stuff, battling alcohol, battling some other substance that's got control of you. Bring it to the Lord right now, would you please, in repentance and faith, but cry out to him who loves you and redeemed you as a believer. Maybe there's some issues going on in the marriage in this room, in your marriage. And the Lord would say, bring those thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ, whatever that might be. Wednesday night, Michael shared. It's about his own journey through pornography and affair and all that, Lord. And if that's you, then just between you and God right here, this place is right now holy ground. For you just to bring your heart to God, as it were, to take off your shoes and bow before him and hear him say to you, I've redeemed you with my precious son, my precious blood, paid the price, you've responded to that, and now respond again at the cross where Jesus will forgive you and cleanse you and wash you. And fill, we're praying, Lord, for the fullness of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We're not operating on our own power. We're not operating on our own wisdom. But we want to present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy, acceptable, which is our reasonable service. It's just right that we should do that. We don't want to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And Lord, what comes to mind is the things that have been happening in our nation, been happening to us, that have been so difficult this last year. Lord, we come as children, your children. We bow in our hearts before we say, Lord, would you come and just hold me and help me and strengthen me. We love you, God. Would you stand as we sing this last song together? And then once we sing this song, we're going to just, uh, we're going to, this room is going to be just kind of a place of prayer and worship until 1030. So, when we're done with this song, uh, Ellie, would you mind just dismissing? Say, at that point, you, you're welcome to go. Uh, we're going to keep this room down as a place of prayer. You know, you know as well as I do, we are desperate for a little time with God. A little time to sort of take in what, what we're thinking and bring it to the throne of grace. So that's what we're going to be doing. Let's sing this song together and then we can dismiss.